Hello and welcome back to the Soccer Brothers Podcast. This is episode number 45. I'm your host, Sal As always, I'm joined by my brother, Yihal. How are you doing, Yihal? I'm doing really well, man. It was a really exciting and great weekend of soccer, and I'm super pumped to talk about it. Before we talk about soccer, let's talk about the soccer-themed clothing brand named Ambitious Strike. Yep, Ambitious Strike has some really, really cool clothing. Make sure to go check them out. The link to the website is in the description. The website is ambitiousstrike.com. And don't forget to use the code BROTHERS at checkout for a 15% off discount on your entire order. Yes, definitely go check them out. So, on Saturday, May 28th, the U.S. played Bolivia in their last friendly prior to the Copa America. Centenario, which is going to be a huge competition for them, as we talked about in previous episodes. And um, they played in Kansas City in Children's Mercy Park, and we played a pretty good game and ended up winning 4-0. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of encouraging signs, which we'll talk more about uh, in a little bit. Um, that being said, you know, this is a team that has won one match under their new coach, who was appointed in, on August 28th of 2015. Um, they're 1-6 since then. Uh, they're towards the bottom of Bowl qualifying, this is not a very good team. You know, this is not the Bolivia of the 1990s. So, although it was a really good win and there were a lot of encouraging signs, um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't really look, read into this too much except for how we played and how, what formation we used and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it's, this is, this does not mean we're going to go on and win the entire competition and beat everyone three, nothing, you know? Yeah, no. So, uh, I don't want to be like a downer cause I was very, very excited and encouraged by the performance. Um, even though we had difficulty actually streaming the match because, you know, we were, we were at a, at some event, some family event and it was, you know, not everyone has Fox Sports 1 apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it it was very, very exciting. Yeah. It it was a good... We were those people who were on the corner in our lap, with our laptops while everyone else was talking. But, you know, some (laughs) things are more important than family and that's soccer. No. (laughs) But, um... Yeah, so we lined up in a 4-3-3. Our back line was really interesting because we saw Beezer left back, the same two center backs um, as the last game, and we had a no, Roscoe. No, Jeff right Cameron didn't play in the last game. Oh, no, right. That was... Um, Steve Birnbaum. Steve Birnbaum. Yeah. And then uh, we uh, we played three in the midfield again. Michael Bradley this time, though, playing the deeper role in the midfield, and Jones and Bedoya uh, played ahead of him. Yeah. And the front three was Wood on the left wing, Dempsey at center forward or striker, and Jossie uh, was on the right wing. Yeah, uh, you know, we saw the 4-3-3 again, which is something we've seen in three straight matches now against Guatemala at home. Uh, well, actually, no, we didn't see it against Puerto Rico. Uh, so three out of the last four matches. We saw it against Guatemala at home, against uh, Ecuador, and now against Bolivia. And it's interesting that you you know, you know made the mistake about Cameron and Brooks. That was actually the second time Cameron and Brooks have played together. The last time was against Bosnia and Herzegovina in that friendly. So Wait, they, they, the, like 2013? Yeah, or at least they started together. Um, wow. Yeah. So, uh, as a center back partnership. Yeah. Um, so it's great for them to get acclimated to each other. Matt Beasley left back. I thought he wasn't terrible. He wasn't great. Uh, you know, he's someone I said might be a left bu- left back option. I've said that a couple of times on this podcast. Um, at least in my opinion, I, th- I thought Jurgen Klinsmann would use him there. Uh, Roscoe has played right back before, so you know he he gets. Uh, a run out. Timmy Chandler was injured, and Edgar Castillo, I don't think, was even in camp yet because he was competing for the Liga Emekis final. Um, so, really, it was down to giving Fabian Johnson and DeAndre Yedlin a break. That's why we saw yeah. those two fullbacks. Uh, but not terrible there. Uh, but, you know, this is a very, very encouraging lineup. I think the front, everyone ahead of them, and the center back partnership, he got right, Klinsman. I would have liked to see Nagby over Jones, maybe. 
and Pulisic or Vizardis. But you know what? I don't think that's going to happen, at least for the first match in the Copa America. And I'm okay with that. You know, yeah. having Pulisic and Nagby come off the bench can be very, very excellent. And then even fifth in the pecking order is Beckerman, who's a very, very solid player. So to have all those options is fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have that deep of a midfield going into a tournament like this. Yeah. All right, let's break down each goal, then we'll get into more our opinions and analysis of the match. All right. Uh, so in the 26th minute, we saw Zardes score. Uh, Cameron made a run-up uh, from the back line, and then he gave it to Dempsey, who made a nice one-touch pass to Bedoya. He played a nice through ball over the top into Zardes, who had a nice one-touch finish. I said nice a lot. Yeah, well, you did. It's okay. It was all nice. Um, and, yeah, so Dempsey drops into the midfield, which is something we saw all day, really. Uh, like you said, lays it off to Bedoya. Bedoya, a nice pass to Zardes. Zardes uh, has to get himself back on side, but then he does, and then is able to finish past uh, Bolivia's keeper. Really a well-worked goal, and a product of what Klinsman was trying to do tactically, and I thought that in and of itself is really, really encouraging. The fact that we had an idea of what we wanted to do, uh, the fact that... uh, Zardes sort of knew what he was doing, I think is really encouraging. And that was all apparent in that first goal. Yeah. Then the 30, 37th minute, uh, Bradley caught the Bolivia defense off track, or pretty much the whole team since it was a set piece, uh, when he played a nice through ball off the free kick into Bedoya, who uh, crossed it and squared it to Brooks. Yeah, uh, so the second assist for Bedoya on the second goal. Uh, once again, it's Clint Dempsey dropping back into midfield, getting fouled, which forces the free kick. Um, Bradley with a wonderful, wonderful through ball. Uh, you know, obviously, of course, we missed the in, in real time. We missed it because Fox has to zoom in on all the players. Um, I just I don't like all these camera angles and all these different sports. Yeah, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was it was a great pass. Bedoya with uh, you know, not sure if he was really aiming for Brooks there, but it doesn't matter. Brooks is able to tuck it home. Um, yeah. Either way, though, I mean, Bedoya's been playing really unselfishly. Yeah, yeah. he's been playing really, really well, too, in the, in the center of the park. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then after halftime in the 52nd minute, we saw Zardes score. Uh, Zardes was on the wing, and then he played it into Bradley in the center, who played a really good through ball over the top into Wood, who did a nice job of keeping it in play and crossing it into Zardes, who scored. Yeah, Wood had, yeah, Wood had not a great touch. He had to sort of recover from it, but was able to keep it in play, as you said. Um, shuffled it across the box, slid it across the box, and Zardes was able to finish. Another really, really well-worked goal, and uh, that's a product of Dempsey playing D-mid, a wonderful, wonderful uh, chipped chipped ball by Bradley. And that's something that's in his game. That's one of the best things he does. And I talked about it on the last podcast against Ecuador, how immediately when he switched to D-mid, his first ball was a deep chipped ball to Bobby Wood in like the 46th minute. So... Very, very exciting. Very encouraging there. Yeah, and then the last goal was, I think, a moment that every U.S. soccer fan appreciated. It was uh, Christian Pulisic, uh, the youngest American scorer uh, in the modern era, I yeah. guess. <laughs> when they started keeping track of these things. And um, it was a nice goal. So basically, Jones had a very nice slide tackle that uh, fell to Nagby. Nagby passed it back to Jones. Then it went back to Nagby in a, in a nice one-two. And he laid it off laterally to Pulisic. And Pulisic did the right job and yeah. scored. And I think Nagby's patience in that entire play was so impressive. Uh, when he was looking for Jones, he got it through there. His run through the Bolivian defense was excellent. 
Uh, and then he got the ball back. He didn't panic. He didn't lay it off to Wood, who was making uh, a run to his left. He waited. He waited for Pulisic to get open. Um, and Pulisic slots at home. Actually, I think it was Wando who was making the other run. Um, no. Who was it? Maybe what? Dempsey. I, I don't know who it was. It was someone making a run on the left. And then Pulisic uh, sort of peels off to the right. Does a Dwight Freeney spin um, and is able to slot at home. A, a very cool and composed finish. Yeah, and I love his celebration, too. He, he, like, just celebrated right away. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and we saw Wood celebrate before the goal even went in. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but, I mean, it, overall, it was a pretty good game. We saw some pretty positive signs, even though I think you and I wanted both Pulisic and Nagby to start. Yeah. But um, why don't we get into a new segment that we have, our three things that we learned from the match. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so the first thing, I guess, which ties into what I was just saying is I don't think uh, Nagby has to be a starter for this team. I think it's okay. a nice change-up, uh, what he brings, and you definitely saw that in the second half, you know, scoring only like 10, maybe less than 10 minutes, or not scoring, but, you know, providing the assist to Pulisic on that goal. And uh, and I had no problem with the way our midfield was working in the first half. Jermaine Jones did impress me a lot. Yeah. I mean, he even played well once Nagby came on, and... Uh, Nagby sitting in the six or that six role was really the key, I think, for the midfield. And Brad, Bradley, you mean? Yeah, sorry, Bradley. And yeah, I, I don't think that he needs to be a starter for us to be successful. Yeah, I, I do think we're a better team with him on the field. That being said, I, I think I agree with you. I don't think Jurgen Klinsmann's going to start him come Columbia. Uh, you know, we were watching his Facebook Live video. He, he does those from time to time. And he says, you know, Nagby continues to do well, continues to impress. But the fans have to think about how someone has to not play in order for Nagby to play. I mean, yes, we know. We think of that. <laughs> um, but, you know, that being said, you know, it, it, he's right. Because Jermaine Jones and Bedoya and Bradley, you know, they're, they're all playing well. Uh, Jermaine Jones is not the player he used to be. But, you know, I, I agree with you. I think having Nagby off the bench can be really, really vital. And even, you know, being able to swap them in and out between matches is vital. Because it's three games in, like, nine days or ten days. So... And I'll say this, I would definitely rather see Nagby coming off the bench as a midfielder than starting as a winger, I think. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And I'd rather see him than mix this screwed, so. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> he didn't even make the roster. Yeah, I know. We're, we're winning all around. All right, so mine, sort of tying into what you just said, is Bradley must play defensive mid. That is his best position. That's where he's been playing for Toronto. As I was saying, it gives him, he, the whole match is in front of him. You know, he, he can... He can do those on-the-ground through balls like we saw in the free kick. He can do that in, during the match. Uh, he can do those chipped through balls. He's able to win the ball defensively. And he provides something that Kyle Beckerman doesn't have. He can pass with both feet. He can you, he has the chipped through ball in his arsenal, which I don't think Beckerman has. Um, and he's a much more positive player from defensive mid than Kyle Beckerman is. And I don't want to hate on Kyle Beckerman because I think he's a great he's been a great player for the u.s national team and he's vital in what he does but bradley is just better for this 4-3-3 i agree with you and i think you know what everyone has to understand is that those jeff cameron you know that zardis first goal jeff cameron passing it straight to dempsey in the attack that's not really going to be able to happen against the better teams and the better opposition that we come right. up against so you're going to need uh, a defensive midfielder who is willing to get it forward in one touch and yeah. just look forward because you exactly. know a lot of times becker is just playing it back as right. you said and when you have three players close together, like Brooks, Cameron, and Bradley, uh, with Bradley defensive mid and those two at center back, I mean, those are three players who are comfortable passing the ball and comfortable on the ball. 
And that is where we can see a transition to the type of soccer Jurgen Klinsmann promised and the type of soccer that we as fans want to see, right? So uh, my number, my first thing we learned is Bradley must play defensive mid. All right, and my, uh, my second thing that I learned was that Zardes works better with a striker playing the false nine. And we, we also saw this in the last game, but I think the reason that we, I, we saw a really good game and a brace from Zardes in this, in, in this game is because um, when he's playing out wide, he, he, as we said, as we were talking about before, Finley plays direct. Zardes is, is allowed to play more direct like that since Dempsey's sending these lob through balls and balls through. And Zardes doesn't need to rely on his composure and first touch as much when he's just shooting it off his first touch or he's, he's in that central position, right. you know what I mean? Right, and that's the one thing he's good at, getting in behind. And as you said, and I think having Dempsey as that sort of withdrawn forward allows him to do that, as you said. And I, I agree with that. I would agree with that, especially, you know, I would maybe amend it to say Zarder works better with a false nine when he's playing on the wing. I don't think he would be a terrible false nine himself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, that's not what I meant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's why it's vital to have uh, players like Wood and Zardes, two strikers by trade, really. Um, making those runs, making those smart runs, and it really works in the formation Klinsman's trying to play. And that sort of goes into my second thing I learned, which is Klinsman maybe knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he's been criticized a lot for his tactical ineptness, um, his, his lack of tactical awareness, and we had a plan. We, you know, we, we're using this 4-3-3. We have Dempsey dropping into midfield. We have Zardes and Wood making these runs. We have Bradley looking for balls over the top. Uh, Jermaine Jones has a defined role now, which he's good at running up and down the field, breaking up play, making the passes he needs to play, picking it up from Bradley when he wants to. Uh, we have two center backs who can play with their feet. You know, Orozco and Beasler, he was just giving people a rest, but when Yedlin and Fabian Johnson come on, they're attacking fullbacks. Um, but they defend when they need to, except for maybe the one exception, which we saw. Um, you know, Bedoya, also all over the pitch. Everyone has a role, and they know what they're doing, which is really, really exciting, especially in light of last year, where really no one no one knew what they were doing. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, it, it, I'm so encouraged, and that's what makes me optimistic. Not the result, but the fact that, Everyone had a defined role, and they knew what they were doing. And you know, yeah, but, uh, but I mean, I don't think that's to say that we're. I mean, I hate to say this, but I don't know. We might not see Bradley in a defensive midfield role against Colombia. No, we might because we've seen yeah. Klinsman not learn from his friendlies and yeah. play something that doesn't work. So I mean, right. I mean, it's great that everyone looks like they knew what they were doing, but it's the man who organizes the formation before the match that actually is going to matter. You know, right? I'm I'm cautious, cautiously optimistic. I'm hoping someone like Andy Erzog maybe got to him, um, but you know, I, I hope we see more of this, and I hope we just use this formation for the next two years, to be honest. But you know, we saw Klinsman in that Facebook live video, the live stream. Again, he was saying, you know, a lot of it depends on what the opponent is doing. So that makes me think he's, you know, we'll probably, we might go with a 4-4-2 or a 4-5-1. Or, with, yeah, 4-5-1 against, uh, against Columbia, a more defensive formation. But, I mean, yeah. I'm optimistic. What did you think of when we switched into the 4-5-1 uh, versus Bolivia? What did you think of it? Um, I didn't really like it. Uh, so what Sahel is talking about is when... Um, Wandos and Zussi came on. Um, Jones was playing sort of that central midfield general 
Nagbion left tucked in, Zuzi right tucked in, Pulisic in front of them as the number 10, and Wood and uh, Wando in front of them. Um, you know, I think Pulisic is a number 10, maybe, but, you know, that's what he's best at. But right now, I think he's a better winger. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, I think for this team, he's a winger. He sort of has to develop his game more to be an effective 10 at this level. Um, that being said, we didn't see a whole lot of it. Uh, you know, I don't really know what to think. That's sort of what we saw against Puerto Rico, and I didn't really like it, but I think it might have its merits. That that's, I wouldn't really call it a 4-5-1. That's a 4-3-1-2, um, or a 4-4-2 diamond dish. Oh, yeah, it's not a 4-5-1. Yeah, because we have two what strikers. Up to, yeah. So, um, not a huge fan of it, but, you know, it, it's good to have that sort of versatility where the players know what they're doing. I just don't. I think the four-three-three with the Dempsey playing the more withdrawn forward is the way to go right now. Yeah, especially and to get Dem- the best out of Dempsey and to have him on the pitch. Yeah, and, I th- and Pulisic. I think there was a clear like. I mean, maybe it's because he hasn't he hasn't played as much in that role. But I mean, I, it, he just didn't look as comfortable as he did out wide. Right. Um, Number three thing you learned. Uh, so yeah, so the third thing I, I learned, and I guess you touched on this, but you might disagree with me with me here, is that uh, after Gedlin and Fabian Johnson came on, I thought maybe we looked too attacking and there were some holes in the defense. And that that might not necessarily come into play versus Bolivia, but like when there's people finishing, and you said this, like if that's Quadrado um, with that uh, Fabian Johnson lapse in the defense yeah. in the second half, then it's probably a goal. Yeah. So... I mean, I I don't think there's any other way to do it, really, because <laughs> I don't know if I I'm, I don't want Beasley and Orozco really playing as our fullbacks. But okay. so I mean, the op- the other option, Fabian on the wing, Fabian on the wing instead of Zardes or Wood, Castillo, and then Castillo at at left back. But then you still have an attacking left back. Yeah, we don't really have a defensive level. We don't have like a Tim Ream on this roster. Uh, we do have Matt Beasley. So you know, I I don't know if I I think. I mean, I agree with you in a sense, but I think that's something Klinsman, that's on Klinsman. So he has to make sure his team knows what he's doing. When Fabian, when when one of them makes a run, Fabian or Yedlin, the other one stays back. Um, or or Bradley drops back into into maybe a three with, with, with uh, Brooks and uh, Cameron. But you know, on that play, everyone except for, on the play you're talking about where Bolivia was straight through, everyone was forward. Cameron was forward. He's the one who made a bad pass. Yedlin was forward trying to win the ball back, and Fabian was up on the other side. I don't know why. Uh, he looked pretty slow coming back. Um, uh, it is a concern, but that's the price you have to pay when you're trying to play like this. So do you think... So you said they're too attacking. Do you think we shouldn't play that, or this is just the best case? No, no, no. I, I said, I mean, I, that's just kind of the risk that com- that comes with this. I, I think it's better to play proactive than... Rely okay. on set pieces or whatever else we used to do. Okay. Um, and then, okay, so let's well, go to my fr- third thing that I learned. Uh, the third thing that I learned is Zardes has a good first touch when he's finishing. <laughs> um, so it's something that we've criticized Zardes for, that everyone and their mother has criticized Zardes for, is his lack of first touch. Twice in this match, his first touch led to goals. And as you said, that's a product of Dempsey playing that withdrawn forward uh, and people getting balls into him on the run where he can finish. Because... You know, although he's not maybe a world-class or elite finisher, he is a calm finisher, uh, and he can get the job done, you know, and it somehow works, and he's, he's, with this match, in this match, he sort of secured a starting lineup, a spot in the starting lineup, 
and uh, he has to continue to do what he does. Hopefully his touch will improve in the next couple of years and before this tournament, if that's possible. Um, but, you know, he I'm not as down on Zardes as I was before this match, but I still don't think he's a better player than Pulisic um, right now. So, Yeah, and neither do I. Uh, yeah, I definitely can agree with that, obviously. Um, with when Altidore comes back after the Copa America and for the Hex, I mean, I mean, I guess that's hard to think about, but, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if Zardes will be as effective as he was in this game or really throughout these string of friendlies. You know, I think, I think what's going to happen and what should happen is we play the same formation and we play Altidore or Dempsey on the wing. I think, I think that's what happens. You know, we saw Josie Altidore play left wing for... I know you're giving me that look, but we saw Josie Altidore play left wing for Azad Alkmar. I mean, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against giving it a shot. Or we just drop Josie Altidore. Yeah, that's, all, that's what I was thinking. Just, just put him on the bench. Or he's clearly, I think, a better changeup than Wando. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Okay, okay. Wando's one job is to finish in the box. And versus Bolivia, I think Wood crossed it in. It was just like an easy opportunity to score, and he just missed it. That was insane. Okay. <laughs> no, he's got a score. Yeah. I, I mean, I like Wando. I'm not. I'm not going to judge his. I'm tor- San Jose. I'm not going to judge. <laughs> I'm not going to judge his tournament until he comes on and misses a shot in the tournament. Um, then I'll be. Then I'll be done with him. But we're talking about Altador. Yeah, but Altador is way in the future. Uh, I mean, if, who? He's not the player he used to be. He's injured all the time, I, you know. So, so let me ask you this: We, we come into the four-three-three. We use this sa- basically the same lineup, except Fabian and Yedlin around the, the fullbacks. Maybe even throw Nagby in there in, in the midfield instead of Jones, and we get like we get like four goals, three goals conceded on us, Colombia. Do you want Klinsman to change that ahead of Costa Rica? No. Or no. No. Okay. I don't think so. Um, I mean, that's sort of growing pains. It's it's a possibility. I really don't. I really don't think that's going to happen, because I think Fabian Johnson and DeAndre Yedlin are going to be more disciplined. I think when you come onto a match that's already two nothing, and in that point it's three nothing, you have so much open space. It's easy to maybe fall into that lull that Fabian Johnson did. If you're playing against Colombia and James Rodriguez, Carlos Baca, Juan Cuadrado, all these guys are coming at you constantly. Yeah, you're more likely to stay in position. Fabian Johnson stayed in position. Um, against uh, Mexico, he's playing right back, right? Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's something he can do. He did it the entire tournament in the World Cup. You know, he's an attacking player, uh, but he, you know, I, I, I have confidence. And Gedlin had to with Sunderland stay at stay in a defensive position. I mean, that's what he did. He was not an attacking fullback for Sunderland. These guys know what they're doing. I think really, I think really, it's it's a it's a product of coming into the game. Seeing that open field ahead of you, seeing how easy the game has been for the United States, and sort of having that lapse. Now, I'm not saying that's excusable. It's not. Um, I think one of the issues, that, or maybe it's an issue, but who, who is Yedlin's competition right now at right back? Well, Michael Orozco. I, I, I think if he can't play, if he's injured, I think Fabian Johnson shifts to right back and Edgar Castillo plays at left back. Steve Birnbaum has played right back before the United States. Jeff Cameron can play right back, and Steve Birnbaum can come in at center back. Um, Yedlin doesn't have much competition on the U.S. national team, but he shouldn't. He's far and away the best right back we have. Yeah. I mean, he's he played consistently for Sunderland in the second half of the season. He was a big Would part. You, would you take him at right back or, or 
if we switched things around and played maybe Cameron or right back or no, I would Yedlin. Really? Okay. Why would I take Cameron at right back? I guess it's situational. I mean, Rob, Cameron's played like full seasons with Stoke at right back, right? I just don't think he's that. Yeah, but I, I just don't. He's a better center back. I don't. Why? What is this? Is our best back line we've had in years? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I I, 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 I would take Yedlin at right back, but I mean, if we can get a real left back before the next cycle, that would be wonderful. Um, you know, if Edgar Castillo maybe continues to play well and. You know. I just don't expect the cleanest tournaments out of DeAndre Edlin in, in this one. This is, but this is his this is his first tournament. He played in the World Cup. Yeah, no, I know, but this is his first tournament after a full season with a t- with an English Premier League club. He didn't have that defensive discipline before. We know that he has that discipline now. He he played for a team, a Sam Allardyce team. Sam Allardyce doesn't give a rat's ass about if about developing young players. It's about surviving. And if, if, if he picks you, that means you're better than anyone else on the team. And he was clearly better than Billy Jones. And he played well at that right-back position. And like I said, he's a big reason why they stayed up. And I won't be surprised if Yedlin, one, transfers to Sunderland full-time. I hope he maybe moves to a more mid-table club. Um, so, you know, he's not fighting relegation and he can express himself a little bit more. But, you know, I don't think it's fair to say you don't expect Yedlin to have a clean tournament when he hasn't gone into a tournament with this much experience. 2014 World Cup, he played like one season for Seattle. He was a rookie. 20, 2015 Gold Cup, he finished off the season with Seattle, went to Spurs and made one appearance. Now he's played a full season with Sunderland. And his defensive positioning is much better. We saw it against Ecuador. Yeah. Um, you know, he does, he does make some mistakes. That's the... That's the I mean, but every fullback makes this. Danny Alves makes mistakes. I'm not. Zabaleta makes I'm mistakes. I'm not really concerned with the marking aspect more as, like, him making mistakes upfield and then it, it leading to a counterattack. And, I mean, I, he, he has the speed to get back and everything. Uh, we'll, we'll see. That, that's about I think it's good that he's playing in the Premier League because um, other other teams or other leagues might encourage him to get forward and he might not have been able to learn or improve his defensive skill set as much as he has. Yeah. Uh, but. You know, um, and he's he's had to handle physicality and yeah. everything else that the Premier League offers. So I, I think it's good. I, I just I, I don't know. I think he might be the the second or third weakest fourth maybe weakest position on the team going into the tournament. Really? I, see, I disagree. I think I'm I'm really secure with Andre as a right back. I think it's the best right back we've had since Steve Trundolo starting a match. I think he, I mean. I would take DeAndre Edlin now over Fabian Johnson at the 2014 World Cup, mostly because Fabian Johnson could play a different position. But I think I'm really secure in this with him there. Okay, wait. So, so who are you most uncomfortable with? Uh, in Zardes. orders, Zardes, uh, Fabian Johnson at left back. Really? I would say, yeah, well, I, I'm just a little nervous about it. <laughs> okay. Um, and probably Brad Guzan worries me the most. Because okay. he's had a couple of good matches, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I said third or fourth. Yeah. Well, okay, maybe <laughs> you're right. Uh, the other one is Kyle Beckerman if he starts. Mm, no, I, Kyle Beckerman should not start. Klinsman has learned nothing if he doesn't start Michael Bradley in, yeah. in that position. Sorry, okay. <laughs> no, no, you're, yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, but I agree with you. Going back to your original point, you had Lynn losing the ball upfield. It's a possibility, you know. But... Yeah. 
I'm confident with him at right back. I really am. You don't have to be. You know, if you disagree with us, let us know. Yeah. Send it in an email to soccerbrotherspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. What positions are you most worried about? Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, definitely. We'll have more of an in-depth preview on the Columbia match and the Copa America in general. Um, but, yeah, that, that's as far as we'll go into Columbia. Now, let's go over to the Champions League final, which happened on the same day earlier at 2.45. It was Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid in the San Siro. It ended up being a 1-1 draw, because it's technically a draw, yeah. that led to penalty, uh, a win in penalty kicks for Real Madrid. Yeah, it was... Uh... Not a super exciting... I mean, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I enjoyed it. But I guess, objectively, not a super exciting match. Um, I, th- I think it was pretty, like, Darby-esque. Like, you, you could kind of see the emotion and intensity, and there was some physicality and some late challenges. And I, I think if you if you were read the narratives and the background behind the whole thing and the coaching and, yeah. you know, whatever, I think it made it interesting. Just as a game, the quality on the field didn't like, look, like, that amazing. But like, I mean, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. You know, I was rooting for Atletico Madrid. Uh, I picked Atletico Madrid to win. Unfortunately, Real Madrid wins 5-3 to three in penalties. Yeah. Uh, so, so for the first goal, Sergio Ramos, it was, uh, it was a free kick for Real Madrid, and Cruz sends in a ball, a good header uh, with the back of Bale's head that goes into the box. It falls to Sergio Ramos. He gets a slight touch on it and uh, puts it past O'Block and makes it 1-0. But the, the thing that everyone debates is that was Sergio Ramos offside? And did Sergio Ramos even touch it? But it would be obstruction even if he was offside, right? I think he was slightly off. He also did touch it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there's nothing you can do now. I think what's interesting to me is the game plan for Atleti was to press. You know, that's what they've been doing to sort of push push Real Madrid out wide. Uh, what happened here was Pepe actually sent a long ball forward, and, um, re- you know, they bypassed the midfield. Real Madrid were able to win a free kick, and that's what led to this goal. So, uh, you know, Zidane was able to combat that with those long balls, or with that long ball at least, and, you know, it worked well. And, um, you know, just earlier, a little bit earlier, Oblak had made a great save to prevent it from being... Um, one zero to Real Madrid. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to do much here. Real Madrid go up one nothing early on, and it really changed the tactical landscape of the game going forward. Yeah, I, I think in the first half we expected to see a lot better chemistry from Torres and Griezmann. You know, like what Isa was saying before when we were previewing this match was that Griezmann would you know overlap Torres and Torres would be the hold up man. But it didn't look like Griezmann really made that many runs. He, he kind of got the ball like, and was just taking shots from outside the, the penalty area. Yeah, and I think, yeah, exactly. You know, they didn't, they didn't do that well together. Um, the other thing is once Real Madrid scores this goal, they sort of go back into a defensive shape and let Atletico attack. There was that 15-minute period where they had 62% possession. That's not something Atletico Madrid is used to. That's not the game. That was not their game plan. So credit to Zinedine Zidane for making them play this more defensive formation. It, it allowed Casemiro to be uh, less less. It, it gave Casemiro less pressure. Um, Casemiro. Uh, it also allowed Ronaldo and Bale to be more counterattacking players. You know, it didn't really work that much because the forwards seemed to be isolated. But defensively, it did work. Uh, they sort of stifled Atletico Madrid at least until halftime. After halftime, Atletico Madrid changed that four-five-one or the four-one-four-one with Saul as the holding mid, uh, Koke and Gabi in front of them. Griezmann shifted to right wing. 
Uh, Carrasco came on at left wing, who was phenomenal in this match, and Fernando Torres was up top alone. Um, and yeah. sort of this this allowed them to press a little bit more evenly while having Saul back to count or to stop counterattacks. Um, and they were able to win the ball off a couple of times, create a couple of good chances, including the first penalty uh, that Antoine Griezmann smashed off the crossbar. Um, and really, Atletico Madrid starts to dominate the second half. Uh, eventually, they score a goal through Carrasco. A great, yeah. great cross from Juan Fran. And even before that, the, the ball from Gabi over the top to Juan Fran was, was a good ball. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was like Michael Bradley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it would be Saul playing that from farther out if it was Michael Bradley. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. And then a great one-time cross and a good finish from Carrasco uh, to finish it off. And then he scores, goes and makes out with his girlfriend on the sideline. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I think it's unfortunate that Atletico Madrid did not win this in full time. I thought in the second half they were the better team. They had more opportunities. But Real Madrid did have a plan. Uh, Zinedine Zidane didn't know what he was doing, um, playing that more defensive uh, soccer. And uh, it really stifled Atletico Madrid. They didn't really know what to do. They ran out of ideas at some points. But Carrasco, by himself, created a lot of opportunities for for Atletico Uh and maybe, maybe they should have scored a second goal. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, I think overall the f- the front three, well, specifically Ronaldo, disappointed me a little bit throughout the course of this match. Yeah. Um, I think he was a little bit better in in extra time for some reason, even though he would have been, you know. I mean, I think he wasn't fully a hundred percent. I think taking Benzema off, putting Ronaldo up top, and bringing on Vasquez was a mistake. I really do. Um, Vasquez was the one who was sort of suspect on Carrasco's goal. He sort of let uh, Carrasco behind. I don't, you know, maybe that doesn't happen if Benzema's still in the game um, and Vasquez isn't. Um, but yeah, you know, no Jesse Rodriguez and no James Rodriguez in this match. Um, so, interesting. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and then, and then in, in extra time, obviously, the score was 1-1 going into extra time, and there was no goals or anything. You could tell that both teams... I, I feel like usually there aren't goals in extra time. But no. I mean, except in the World Cup, they happen. Um, nah, there was really... Nothing really happened in, in, in extra time. Um, no clear-cut chances for either team that I can recall. Uh, yeah. And then in penalties, uh, it, it was tied up at... I think both teams made three penalties... Yeah. And then Juan Fran came up. and he, Real Madrid made the fourth. Oh, yeah. Real Madrid, so then, yeah, at that point, the, uh, Atletico Madrid had to go ahead and tie it 4-4. Then Juan Fran missed it, hit it off the crossbar. Hit the post. Was it the post? Yeah, it was the left post. Are you sure? Yeah, it was on the ground. It was on the ground. Uh, we're going to have to look at that again. Okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then, the so he didn't have to make Navas do anything, and then... Ronaldo took, you know, he said he wanted to take the fifth penalty. Um, you know, he had a, he had a good feeling that he was going to be the one to win it, and then he did, uh, as he caught O block. Yeah, see, Juan finally missed it on the ground. It hit the left post. Um, but yeah, Ronaldo, you know, a good penalty kick. Apparently, he had a, a vision in which he was going to score the game winning penalty kick, which is why he chose to go fifth. You know. Not really the reason why Real Madrid won. You know, he scored a penalty kick just like everyone else. Took that shirt off in record time. I even, I even said. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I said I, I thought it too. right beforehand. Um, 
you know, Real Madrid, he's going to take off his shirt if he wins. And it was off in seconds. Um, I think like the celebration was kind of underwhelming, though. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe we were just, it's we just of, wanted Atletico Madrid to win. Yeah. It's their 11th, 11th Champions League yeah, home. crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, penalty shootouts kind of suck. They're exciting, but they kind of suck. Um, but, you know, congratulations to Real Madrid. 11, 11 Champions Leagues or European Cups. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, this team... Um, Sorry, I'm just looking at Waterfront's face right now. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, no, like he played a decent game. He had an assist and yeah. it's just... But he's going to be remembered as, you know, the guy who missed the penalty. Yeah. It's just sad. So it's really, really unfortunate. You know, I was really, really pulling for Atletico. Um, well, let's have to wait from two years from now when... Well, you know... since Christian Pulisic leading the forwards for... Uh, Real Madrid. Oh, for Real Madrid. No, it's Real Madrid, <laughs> Atletico Madrid again. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. two years. Speaking of that... Two questions. Will Zinedine Zidane stay on, will, or will they hire someone else and, you know, have Zinedine Zidane get experience elsewhere? I think you keep Zidane. He turned around the season. He uh, he got them to a point where they finished below, Bar- finished below Barcelona by one point in a league. He won the Champions League. I think you keep him. He did well. Uh, also, is Diego Simeone leaving? Rumors that he is leaving... Um, unless athletic, the Atletico board step it up. Although Atletico spent the fourth most this last past summer. Because he wants to leave, right? Yeah, I think he doesn't want to leave. I, uh-huh. yeah, I, I don't know. I've just always been fascinated with the Diego Simeone Atletico Madrid. I want to yeah. see it continue. I, well, I do too, unless he comes to Everton, <laughs> which is fantasy, fantasy land, but, you know, you never know. He, um, he all sees a, uh, a report, and then he... Well, you know, I get excited about that stuff. I think the much more possible destination is Inter Milan. Uh, I'm sure you you don't want to see that. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens with those two. Um, Yeah, and, I mean, to your point about Zinedine Zidane, I absolutely agree. It was a complete turnaround from what Rafa Benitez did. just, Just the results, and I don't have the numbers right now, but I definitely know that there were not that many games... That he, he that he drops points in, and you know he ended up making it really close for Barcelona uh, to win that La Liga title, one point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I think Zinedine Zidane should stay, um, and I, th- I think he can do a good job with this team in the future. Real Madrid, I think, is going to have to make some changes though with their lineup over the summer. I think so too. We'll see. I think James Rodriguez is on his way out. Uh, maybe he'll come to Everton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. Um, I, I want to see him. Uh, no, I, don't I don't know, know where he'd go. Probably go PSG. Maybe Manchester United. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the summer should be exciting. Um, the club season's over. Uh, other stuff happened too. Uh, Tipple League is still going on. Yeah, that's true. MLS <laughs> is still going on. Yeah. Um, Pachuca won the Liga MX title this weekend. Um, Hull City back in the Premier League after winning the championship playoff. Exciting times for them. Um, So, yeah. I mean, we're not going to go into those. But, uh, you know, it was a great weekend of soccer. But it's going to be an even crazier, crazier summer of soccer. We have the Copa America. We have the Euros. We have the Olympics for the men and the women. Not the U.S. men, but uh, just the men. Um, And then we also have MLS going on all the way through that. So it's going to be a very, very exciting summer. We're going to try to step up our game. We're going to have more podcasts per week. Uh, you know, we're, we'll both be out of school eventually. 
you know, we'll, we'll be able to actually rewatch the games and stuff. You know, we do in bits and pieces, we do go back and rewatch a lot of the game, but it's hard to because, you know, we're sitting here, it's 1 a.m., you have school tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, this summer, you know, I'm, we're very, very excited. Um, but yeah, yeah. Bef- before we leave, let's talk about Ambitious Strike one more time. Uh, Sal, take it away. Yes, as we said before, Ambitious Strike is a soccer-themed clothing brand. They've got great merchandise. If you want to check out Ambitious Strike, go to ambitiousstrike.com. If you want a 15% discount on your entire purchase, enter the code BROTHERS at checkout. Yep, the link to that is always in the description. All right, anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, also in our description, you'll have a links to our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook. Go check us out, support yeah. us there. Uh, we should be having more updates, actually, on the games as we get yep. less busy. Because we've done a poor job at that as of late. And, um, you know, there's plenty of places to check us out. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Um, So, you know, keep on listening. Tell your friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, Check us out. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode of the Soccer Brothers Podcast, episode 46. Uh, We are interviewing Tom Marshall this week, as I mentioned last time, to preview uh, the Mexican national team and the Copa America a little bit more in depth. We're very, very excited about that. you know, we still haven't decided if we're going to have two separate episodes this week leading up to Columbia or just one full long episode. If you have any input, let us know. Um, but, you know, we'll probably decide that by tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Make sure to check us out on iTunes, as Sahil said. Rate, subscribe, do all that stuff. We will see you guys next time for episode 46 of the Soccer Brothers Podcast. See you guys.